Well, good morning. Welcome, uh, welcome to our family gathering. Um, it's good to be with you guys. We are uh, in week two of a four-part training series that we're doing uh, through the summer months on some key aspects of what it means to be Jesus's body, his family in the world. Uh, we, we, as a, a church, want to be well-developed, not just in our thinking, of, uh, in terms of our beliefs about what God is like and what he's done and who we are, but in our living as well. And so what we're talking about is, is, our, is the living aspect of who we are as a family and wanting to grow in our, our lives as his people so that we're effective in what he's called us to be effective in. Um, and so last week we talked about time. Today we're going to talk about hospitality and using the space in our, our homes, our, the, the places that we live, our environments for His glory. Next week we're going to talk about prayer, and then we're going to talk about um, investing in those younger than us and being disciplers of, uh, of the next generation. So one of the things that I said last week, if you remember, is that before we transition on to the new topic, it would be great if we actually heard some stories of the the topic that we covered last week, to hear how God was actually working in our time. And so if you remember, there were two kind of big themes for us as a community. We were talking about being stewards of time. The way that we use our time is that we are managers of it for God and with God. He actually wants to be part of our managing of our time. And that if we're thinking correctly about the way that we use our time, it will result in us living a first fruits kind of mentality where we give the first and the best of our time to God for his purposes. So not the last fruits, but the first fruits. And then secondly, we will create margin for the things that God brings our way so that we'll be able to respond to needs as he brings them to us, which we expect him to do. So um, I know of at least one person who came to me and, and asked if, uh, if they could share. So I'm going to have, Pete's actually going to bring the microphone uh, around, but I'll, I'll start with her. If anybody else would like to share after Leah, you're welcome to do that, but um, I know that she's, she's prepped and ready to go. So, so um, last week I thought it was really cool that Jay talked about this because right before that um, I ran into a high school friend um, in a restaurant and um, High school was like 20 years ago now for me. Um, She was actually in our wedding and um, her husband and her son. And um, she just told me that she had been going through a really hard time. Her um, son was on house arrest and um, he's a junior in high school. He had just um, fathered a baby and um, her husband had um, been unfaithful and a lot of things just um kind of were building up in her life and but we just chatted we were you know we just ran into each other so a few days later I thought um you know I'll text her and see how things are going and um so I just was like hey you know what's going on um how are you today and um not to be like dramatic and everything but she was like I can't believe you just texted me I've actually been crying in my room, debating, like, taking a bottle of pills. And um, so I was like, okay, well, how can I help you? What can I do for you? And um, I kind of, you know, we talked a lot on the phone that night. I went over to her house the next day. And um, then when Jay talked about that, I just thought, you know, I really am going to be intentional about creating margin for her in my life now, for reaching out to her consistently and, Um, just stopping over her house after work. And um, it just was an encouragement to make sure that I do that for her. And, um, you know, it was kind of a spontaneous thing, like seeing her and um, then saying, okay, I need to make room for you now in my life. And, um, you know, there always are a million excuses. We're so busy. Um, But it was just kind of like... God really said it there, and she's a believer, and she said that to me, you know, like, it's so great that you're back in my life, and um, just on the other hand, like, other friends of mine have created margin in my life by um, watching my kids when I work, and 
things like that, and I've just been grateful for that as well. Um, you know, it's like I'm doing it, and then I'm also seeing others do it, and that's an encouragement as well. Anybody else like to share? So, hospitality. Um, today, we're going to talk about something that I think has the potential to change the world. And I'm, I've, I've debated whether or not to say it like that when I started out, because it sounds a little bit like a preacher's sort of like, you know, just making something into the most important thing, like, Whatever you do, like, this is the most important thing. And then, like, next week, it's like, no, this is the most important thing. And this is the most important thing. And we're going to do that again because next week is prayer. And that's the most important thing as well. So, so I realize there's, there might be a little bit of that. Um, but I really do believe that hospitality has the, change, has the ability to change the world. Um, and maybe if I just bring those two ideas together, prayerful hospitality... Uh, is actually what God wants to use to change the world. And, and it's not just, it's, this isn't just something that I came up with. I actually want you to see this. So um, we're just going to look at a couple verses in Titus 1, verses 7 and 8. Um, Paul is giving instructions about what leaders should be like and how they are to lead the community. And this is, this is what he says is to be true of the leaders of God's communities. He says, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. An overseer is just another word for elder. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must, he must be hospitable. That's, that's as strong a command as you have in Scripture. Leaders must demonstrate and show hospitality. One who loves what is good. That has to be part of the leadership. And here's why. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 3. To the elders among you, again, those are the leaders of the community, I appeal as a fellow elder, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, being examples to the flock. So this is, this is what God is after. He wants the leaders of the church to be people that demonstrate effective hospitality so that the church, every, absolutely everyone who's part of the community of God, would be excellent in their hospitality. Am I putting it strong enough? He really, 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 really wants this to be absolutely part of every community of believers. He wants them to be fantastic at it. Now let me ask you, we'll dialogue about this, why? Why do you think God wants His church to be incredibly good at hospitality? Okay? They're formed in real life, right? And in homes. So He wants relationships to flourish. What else? Yeah, so if there's a disconnect between the way that we use our home and space and the way God has treated us, we are, the way I would put it is that we are living as unbelievers at that point. We are functional atheists in the way that we live. The positive way to say that is whatever God has done to you, he wants to do through you. And that's a theme that we're going to trace in a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, and we, we're going to talk about that too in a little bit. Where if you say to someone, go and be well, but you don't actually care for their, their, their most present needs, uh, then you're not really loving that person. You're not really communicating what's best for them. You may be saying something with your words, but you're not following it up with your actions. And Jesus was a man of word and deed, right, in the way that he lived. He both healed people and freed them. He... he, he brought them back to life and forgave them of sin. And both were necessary, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it creates an impression, right, about what God's people are like. And ultimately, you are conveying to people that don't know God what God is like by the way that you live. You are doing it every day. 
particularly of people that know that you're a Christian. You're doing it all the time. And one of the shameful things I think about uh, the, the church in the 21st century is what a bad impression the world has of the church. I mean, it just, it doesn't, you don't have to go long before people, you run into people that think that we're hypocrites, that we are unloving, uncaring, that we only care about what you believe and not who you are. And to a large extent, many of those things have been true, right? Um, and, and all of those things are communicating something about God by the way that we live. I'll, I'll put it this way, too, that gospel-shaped hospitality is absolutely necessary as an environment because it's where people experience the love of Jesus Christ and are changed by it. And so, so often I think our Christianity has been with words only where we tell people that God loves them, but they don't see a community that lives like a family that welcomes the stranger in to be part of that family. That creates an environment where people feel at home and feel rested and feel like themselves so that they can become who God is changing them to be. And God wants His community to be that type of community. And and so it's imperative that we understand what hospitality is because in order to make disciples of Jesus, we must be a people who understand how to do hospitality. You cannot make disciples, full disciples of Jesus, without a church that understands and lives out hospitality. Critical. Critical to our mission as a church. Critical to God's vision for the world, really. And so what, what we need to talk about what hospitality actually is, because there's, there's a lot of kind of misinformation or misconceptions about what it means to be hospitable. Sometimes we just think of hospitality as like, you know, believers sort of getting together and being around one another, a sort of Christian fellowship and being around people that are most like you. Sometimes we think of hospitality as like having the biggest or cleanest house on the block so that you can entertain people at your home for dinner, right? And usually what that's all about is creating an environment that's spotless that where, where the environment itself is saying more about you than it is about God. Because you don't need a big house in order to be hospitable. You don't need a clean house to be hospitable. And sometimes we, we get that mixed up and we think more about what it means to be people that entertain folks over, which is all about trying to give them a good impression of our lives rather than to show them what God is like. So, so what is hospitality? If you look at the actual word that, that is used in the Greek for hospitality, it's, it's a, a compound word that literally means to, to love a stranger as a brother. It's phileo, which we get the, the term Philadelphia, which is the city of what? Brotherly love, right? And so it's that kind of love for someone who is strange to you. And that could be any kind of category, right? Who is unlike you, who, who is different from you, whether that be a difference of socioeconomic background or a difference of values or a difference of beliefs or a difference of race or a difference of ethnicity or whatever the case might be, a difference of experience, a difference of the way that they use language. It could be anything that you perceive as a difference that would create uh, division and tension or at least separation, God says to, to exercise hospitality is to treat someone like that as though they were your family. That's what it means to be hospitable. And, and so we have to understand that because if we're going to be good at it, we need the right definition, right? We can't operate under false pretenses of what it means to be hospitable and think that we're fulfilling what God has for us here in South Jersey. So to be hospitable means to treat an outsider as though they were part of your immediate family. To treat someone who isn't part of your family as though they are part of your family. Now you might think, okay, I've heard this word hospitality before, but I don't have a big home. And I don't have, or I don't have a home at all. I have an apartment. I can't be hospitable. And the truth is, if you're operating under this definition, you can love strangers in any environment that God gives you, right? 
It doesn't take a certain kind of home with a certain number of bedrooms or a certain size kitchen or an open floor layout or whatever the case might be that you think is a requirement for being hospitable. It, it, it is whatever environment God has given you to be generous with because the truth is He's been generous with you. In the same way that we talked about time, right? We talked about time as being like this, this resource that we can either believe that God has been generous and use our time for Him or we can choose to believe that God has not been generous and try to use our time for us. That's the difference, right? And the same thing with our homes. We can go, well, God hasn't been generous with a big home, therefore I can't be hospitable. No, he's been generous with whatever space he's given you. Use that space to love people that are unlike you. So let me ask you, what are some of the spaces that God has given you? Let me start with the easy one, right? It's home. But that's not the only place you spend your time. Workplace. What's that? Cars? Yeah. Church building, Pete? (laughs) School, great. Did I hear somebody say pool? Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great one, especially here in South Jersey. I just spent a bunch of time at one. What's that? The gym? Yeah, somebody put that up here. What? Sure, yeah. It doesn't take a house to do it, right? Just outside. Yeah. Um, how, how about your Cultivate Community? You might think, well, my Cultivate community meets in someone else's home. That's okay. If you're part of the family of God and they're part of the family of God, it's your home too. Right? I, one of the things I love about our community is that the best people that do hospitality in our house don't actually live there. So, like, the ones that are most welcoming... Now, many of our group members have lived in our house, so... Well, <laughs> We'll get to that, so there's, there's maybe an additional reason for that. Um, but I love when someone new comes into our house and they can't tell who actually lives there because everyone treats it like home. I love that because it, it shows me that there are people in our house that are believing that our space is their space and our space together is God's space. Because the truth is, if God has given a home to one of us in the family, he's given it to, to all of us. It's a common resource that's part of our family. And if you really are my brother and sister, then, you, then my house is your house. And your house is mine. Oftentimes we talk about resources that as, as believers, we don't belong to ourselves, so nothing belongs to us. So that's the bad news. But because everything belongs to our dad and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, everything belongs to us. And so you have vacation homes and you have cars to use and you, ha- you have resources and pools and, and and space to be hospitable in, even if they don't technically belong to you as far as this this world considers it, right? It's your space too. We have all these spaces. Hopefully you're getting the, the sense that if it does all belong to God, then it is all space that he wants to fill and use for his purposes. And so when you're when you're at a park, you can treat the park as if it belongs to your dad. And welcome people into that environment as though you're an owner of that space rather than a visitor. You can do this everywhere. You can do this here on Sunday morning. One of the things that I think is great about us is that, I mean, aside from the people that welcome you and kind of give you a, a, a you know, program or whatever we call it, a bulletin when you walk in, um, every, every one of us or many of us are owners of making this space a place where people feel like they're at home. I love that about us. I love that about you guys, is that you do that really well. We don't, we don't have to designate people to be like the floating greeters, and it's like their job on, on this particular Sunday to do that. No, so many of you go, no, that's my job. That's my responsibility because we are a family, and this is what we do. God has given you space to do this. And here's what it means to be hospitable. It's creating an environment 
where outsiders are treated as equals. So that they feel like they're protected, they're provided for, so that they go from being a stranger to a family member. That's the goal of hospitality, is to go from outsiders to insiders, from not belonging to belonging, particularly so that they end up belonging in God's family. And this, this, this is a well-documented movement of God's Spirit throughout His entire story. This isn't something recent. This isn't something new. The origins of hospitality go all the way back to the very beginning of the story. Because if you remember what God does, He, he comes in, into the world and He creates an environment called the Garden of Eden for people to belong in. That's what He does. He creates space. I mean, read even Genesis 1. God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the sky and the water. And then he fills it with the kinds of beings, the sort of created beings that belong in the space that they are given for. That's actually God's work of creation. And then when it comes to people, God creates a hospitable garden for, in which they're to live, in which they're to belong. And it's a perfect environment where absolutely all of their needs are met where they live in perpetual rest. Even when they're working, they're they're resting in what God provides for them. And God provides everything for them. All they are to do is to trust that He will continue to care for them. It's a perfect picture of hospitality. I'd encourage you to go back and read it this week. But those of you who know the story, what ultimately happens to that environment and to them? What do they end up doing? What's that? They lose it. And the reason that they lose it is because they fail to trust in Him. They fail to trust God. They don't actually rest in His provision even though He tells them, this is all for you. They don't look to Him as the one who can best take care of their needs. And they, they feel like they can be the ones to take care of their own needs. And so they look to other things for their provision. And they look to other things for their identity. And then the result of that decision and that walking away from God as our provider and our dad is that we see brokenness enter into relationships for the very first time. And the environment in which they live goes from a hospitable one to a hostile one. Right? goes from a place where all their needs are cared for to a place where they have to work like crazy just to get the ground to produce for themselves. And they go from unity to division. And they go from belonging to being outcasted. And just so you know, I mean, the, the last couple weeks in our nation and even in the world have been a clear indication of the reason that this hostility exists. This is the reason that we do not live in a hospitable world anymore. That that we treat people who are different as enemies instead of brothers and sisters. The reason that we do that is because of our original rebellion against our generous, hospitable God. That's why it exists in the world. Which is why it's so key for the church to be good at it. To to remember and and, and get refilled with this understanding of what hospitality is. Because we look out into the world and we see a world in which that doesn't trust Him and doesn't uh, rest in His provision. Do you see why it's so important for us to be experts at hospitality? Because it is the way that God shows the world what He's like. That, that He's pursuing them to bring them home to Himself again. See, when you provide hospitality, you're actually pointing backwards to a garden that we all know is in our history. And we're pointing forward to a new creation where absolutely everything will be back to the way that God designed it to be. And we will be home forever with Him. See, right now we're in the gap between those two things. And all of us, because we're creating the image of God, know in, deep down in our gut that, that we were created for a place of hospitality and we should be headed towards a place of hospitality. But right now we live in a world of hostility. I mean, think of what it could do if the world saw a people who were hospitable with every environment that God gives them. Do you think folks are hungry for that? Do you think that's what they long to experience? 
I know it is because I've invited people in, we've invited people in that have began to experience in that, and many of those people have come to faith in Jesus because they've experienced hospitality. It is the most powerful weapon that we have, aside from prayer. Right? God goes on, and he, because he's not satisfied with us walking away from him, he, he takes a people unto himself called Israel, and he said, I'm going to make a nation that brings myself glory and shows the world what I'm like, and they are to be a hospitable people. And God does this because he wants them to understand that hospitality is at the very heart of why he chose them. In fact, if you go back and read their story, you see it over and over and over again, God telling them to be a hospitable people. And it's funny, God is so committed to them being a people of hospitality that he subjects them to an environment where they are in a hostile place so that they'll know the difference. Isn't God gracious to do that? Because what does he do? He actually lets them experience what it's like to be strangers living in Egypt. If you know anything about God's story, you know that that was part of their history. And you think, why in the world did God allow them to be slaves for 400 years? And the reason He did that is because He wanted them to know what it was like to be like an outsider. Rejected. The foreigner. The stranger. Because when they're living in Egypt, it starts out great, and then the next pharaoh comes along after Joseph lived, and and suddenly now he forgot how they should be treated. And so instead of being cared for like they belong in Egypt, they're treated as slaves. And God, it's as if God is saying behind all of it, I'm going to show you what it's like when you're among people and they don't practice hospitality so that you'll know what it feels like to be an outsider who's used instead of served. I want you to know what it feels like so that when I make you a nation of your own, you'll remember what it's like and you'll do the opposite. And so when God finally does take them out of Egypt and starts to bring them into their own land and, and starts to speak to them about the kind of lives they're to live. This is what he says in Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. He says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. When someone who's strange to you, who has different values than you do, who, who doesn't look like you, don't mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your what? Your native born. Treat them as though they are part of your family. Love them as yourself. Whatever you would want someone to do for you, you do exactly the same thing for them. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I did this to you so that you could do this to others. And that's always the pattern of the way that we should live it out. Whatever God does to you, He wants to do through you for the sake of others. And that includes hospitality. Now, it takes Israel a long time to get into the land. And there's some reasons for that because they distrust God and they grumble against Him and they don't believe that God is going to give them the land. And so they end up waiting 40 years and their kids become adults and then God has to repeat the same heart, the same, the same commands to their children as he did to them. And that's what happens in Deuteronomy 10. Right before their kids are about to go in because their parents disbelieved, he says to their children, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the foreigner residing among you. He loves those who are different than you. He longs for them to be part of the family. I mean, think about the people that are around you, in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, at the park, when you go to the gym. Those people that you you spend your whole life avoiding are the people that God loves and wants to bring home. The people that are most unlike you. He says, I love the foreigner residing among you. I give them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. 
You hear what God's saying? He's saying, remember what I did to you. Remember what I did for you. Remember how I loved you. Remember how I rescued you. I brought you out and I rescued you from oppression. And, and, and I paid the price in order to do it. I gave you the perfect lamb to be sacrificed so that you could be ransomed out and not killed. And I fed you every single day you were in the wilderness. And I, made, I even made sure that your sandals didn't wear out along the way. I mean, how amazing is that? Like God protected their clothing. And he, he said, I'm going to dwell among you. I'm actually going to join you in the journey of your life so that you'll know that I'm near to you. And, I, and I'm going to give you sacrifices so that even when you fail and you disobey me, there's a way back into my presence over and over and over again. I'm going to make atonement for your sin. See what God is saying? When, when no one on the planet cared for you and welcomed you in, I cared for you. I loved you with my own life. I gave you food and shelter. I led you to a land of rest. And I just got to say this, family. If you're, if you're in Christ, if, you, if you've welcomed Him into the home of your heart, and you've come to Him by faith, all of this and more has been done to you. You've been freed from the bondage of sin and death. You've had God join you in the journey of your life to walk with you every day of your life. And He promises never to leave you or abandon you. All the days of your life, he, he, he gives you the things that you need and He might give those things to you through other people. And ultimately, He wants to lead you to a land of ultimate rest where you get to live in His presence forever. God's done all those things and more to you. And if you believe that, then you will treat others as, so that they would understand what it's like to know that kind of God. Every single time. So if you want a definition of what hospitality means, I think this gets at it. It's caring for outsiders so they feel like insiders so that eventually they will be insiders who are at home with God. It's caring for outsiders so they feel like insiders so they eventually will be insiders who are at home with God. That's hospitality is to treat people like they belong before they belong so that eventually they'll believe they belong with Him. I just want to ask, like, what do you think would happen in our culture if we really believed and lived this out? Just us. Let alone, I mean, I, I believe that God wants the Garden State to be full of families that do this. But just the people in this room what do you think would, be, would, would be begin to happen if this were true in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools? Has God given you any pictures? What do you think? I'm actually asking. I'd love to know. Yeah. And that's often what happens, right? Is that... Um, when you're faithful to give what God gives to you, others become faithful to give back what God's given to them. And you end up both being blessed as a result. You get the, the good things that he's deposited in other people's lives when you open up what God's given in your life. That's kind of like what it means to be a body, right? When you're a body, you, you function the way God created you to function and others do the same thing and you end up being a functioning body. You get much farther than just a foot that's sitting there on its own and has no leg to move it, right? That's, that's what it means to be together. It's funny, though, um, when we think about it being transformational, we think, like, if, if this was God's command to Israel, then it should have happened already. But the problem is that Israel failed miserably in God's intention for them. Instead of being a community filled with grace and hospitality, they they actually thought that they were entitled to the land that God gave them by grace. They thought they were entitled to uh, the things that God had given them and the homes that he had given them. They thought they deserved what they got from God rather than being from him and for him. And in their forgetfulness of what God had done, they failed to treat others the way that God treated them.
And they only gave people what they thought they were entitled to. And they only opened up their homes when it was convenient for them. And they only gave, gave, opened their homes to people that they thought were safe to them and convenient to them. And they went from, a, from, from their house being a place for God and for strangers to a house being for them. And that's a shame because I think when I look at the church, not just not us necessarily, but the church, in, at least in North America, I think, we, man, we do the same thing. We feel like we're entitled to the things that God has given us as if they were from us rather than for him. And so we, we use them sparingly rather than graciously. And we only open our homes up to people that are safe to us or people that, that, that are equal to us or, or look like us. And people that don't fit into those categories, we go, well, you know, they wouldn't appreciate it if I did anyway. And they don't really deserve it. Did we deserve what we got from him? No. We didn't deserve anything, and God gave it graciously to us anyway. I've heard, I, I'm, you know, as I had the opportunity to work alongside other Christian leaders, I've heard pastors talk about their homes as places of refuge and retreat from the world. No, Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is our retreat from the world. He is our strong place and our high tower. And he, he folds us into his wings and keeps us protected. You don't need your home to do what Jesus can only do for you. Your home is a place of ministry for the sake of others. Please use it that way. Whatever space God has given you. Don't use the things of this world to replace what only Jesus can do. See, God is faithful to us, though even when we reject him, even when we don't use our space the way that he would have us use it. And so it breaks God's heart, I think, when we forget what he's like. And, and we, we live under our own means and under, for our own sakes. I just want to encourage us not to make the same mistake Israel did. To remember what he did for us and let that influence the way that we use all of our environments. Maybe it influences you in the way that you choose a home. Don't just choose a home because it's in a better school district. Man, when I moved to Cherry Hill, that's what I heard over and over and over again. Wow, like you're going to be part of the best school district. Isn't that amazing? That, I'm grateful for that. And I pay taxes out of all kinds of places to make sure that that happens. But I, I have to be sure to tell people that's not why I moved to Cherry Hill. I did not move to this neighborhood to be more comfortable. I, used, I moved to a place that had more space so that I could welcome in the stranger because that's what God did for me. That's what he does for us. Maybe that influences the way that you choose a home. Maybe it influences the size of your dining room table. And you think, man, I, we only have room for a couple people. Maybe we need to have more chairs so that we can welcome more people in like God welcomed us. Maybe it means that you create margin in terms of a room that you have set up for somebody to stay when they need a place to live. Maybe it means that you budget a meal a week and you just say, I'm going to leave this meal open for others so that they can have a place where they feel like they're at home. Maybe it means that you create room in your budget and you budget every month and you just leave that space available and you say, whatever God you want me to use this for, let me use it for you. See, God wants to do through you what he's done to you. And he's done so much, hasn't he? He's done so much for us. It's funny when you think about Jesus and the culture that he's in, it's amazing the kind of hospitality that was already going on and yet Jesus calls them to more. In Middle Eastern culture, it was expected to care for others who were in desperate need regardless of what it cost you. And then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan who gave everything that he had so that others had a place to stay. In Greek culture, it was common that if someone passed in front of your house, you were expected to invite them in no matter who they were. And they could refuse the offer, but you had to give it anyway. In fact, you weren't even allowed to ask their name until you had washed their feet and offered them something to eat and drink. You had to care for their needs before 
you could ask them anything about them. And we, so often we do the opposite, don't we? We say, nobody comes into my house until I know absolutely everything about them first. I need to know where they stand in terms of their parenting and their politics and their beliefs and their core values and how clean they are. And to the Greeks, they said, no, you don't get to do any of that until you serve them well. And imagine what would happen if the believers in Jesus treated people that way. I'm not even going to ask you about your story until I've served you well. In Roman culture, they had this false belief going on that gods could actually roam around and live in their culture. And so you had to be very careful uh, how you treated everyone because it might end up being a god and they might destroy your city if you didn't treat them well. In fact, there's a myth that uh, a city was destroyed because some people treated some gods who had passed through uh, poorly. So imagine this culture in terms of what they know and what they believe. And Jesus says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. He's saying, I know what you know about hospitality. I, I know what you believe. That whatever the least are among you, it's like God is actually there. So will you treat them as, as though I'm actually in your midst? There's a, a great passage in Hebrews 13 too that talks about hospitality. You may know this. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so, some people may have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. You may have entertained angels. And now, I think there's some, you know, you could believe different things about what he's actually saying there. It doesn't actually have to be angels, but the, the word angel just means messenger. And I think what God is saying is God might be sending messengers your way at any moment. He might be sending people to you that he wants you to love as if it were him coming directly to you. See, a messenger is just a representative of a higher power. In this case, it's God himself. And so God is saying, I want my people to always expect that I'm showing up. Always treat everyone who comes to your door as though it were me coming to your door. I remember thinking about this a lot when recently we had a couple Jehovah's Witnesses come to our, our door. And um, just watching them go, like, we were like, the, you know, they went kind of like, counterclockwise around the street so I'm watching them go down the street and getting the door shut in their face in every place and then they come around to me and they're in my heart there's like this feeling of dread like oh gosh like here comes the debate right here here comes the the argument and I just felt like oh, if it were me if it were Jesus walking around the neighborhood how would I treat them so when they got to our door I just started to ask them about how their day was and if they needed anything and I got them water and said, hey, if you want a place to sit down, I'd love to talk to you. And they go into their whole spiel and everything and I'm just like, okay, I'm just it's my job to listen. I've got a lot of differences that I could start with and go, I don't think you have it right on this and this and this and this and this. And I could argue all of those really well. I've been to school to do that. Four years of major investment to know exactly how to counter all these things. And I just thought, if it were me, I'd be thirsty. I'd want a place to sit down. I'd want somebody to actually listen rather than shutting the door in my face. And I, I remember there was a, a young girl who was with the guy who was doing most of the talking. And she, like when they rang the doorbell, she starts to like back up a little bit because she's like, okay, they're... They're going to close the door in our face and we're going to be on to the next place. And, and so she got a bottle of water in her hand. It was like, I don't even know what to do with this. <laughs> like, this is strange to me. And then after they left, I started to get convicted that I didn't even... I treated them the way I think I would want to be treated, but I didn't treat them like Jesus. And I, I, Not necessarily saying like that I believe that they have the spirit of Jesus. I'm just saying Jesus said treat everyone as, a, as if it were me. So I started to think, okay, if, they, if, if it really was Jesus, I would, have, I would have welcomed them across the threshold of my door. I would have had them sit in the best chair. I would have had them put their feet up. I would have made a meal. I would have, done, I would have gone out of my way to make sure that they had the absolute best day they could possibly have. Do we do that with others? See, whatever I would do for Jesus, I should do for anyone who comes to my place. And we should too. See, are we willing to let 
the threshold of our houses and our lives go and invite people across it and treat them as though it were Jesus himself. That's what Jesus expects of his people because that's exactly what he does for us. It's exactly what he does for us. Ephesians 2 says it this way, Remember that at that time, he's talking about before we were believers in Jesus, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That was your condition. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Isn't that amazing? That God would love you that much to do that for you? You're no longer strangers. And this, if we believe this family, it should shape every day of our lives. So what, what could it look like? I just want to end with this. For us to be hospitable people, I think there's some just categories that you might think through. You might think through them this week in terms of how you live with others. But I think hospitality means at least three things. But it means to create environments for people to be themselves, to become themselves, and ultimately to do themselves. So we're just going to run through this real quick. But to be themselves in your own life. I mean, think about the places or people where you felt most at ease just to be you. What were some of the things that were true when you were in those places? You just got to be yourself. What, what were some of the things that were true? Just, I mean, quick, like, yeah, you weren't judged. What else? What's that? Yeah, no strange rules or measurements or, or expectations to meet. Anything else? Yeah, you're able to let your guard down because you didn't feel like someone's going to attack you. <laughs> I think the reason why people are so defensive with Christians is because they believe that if they could be them true, their true selves, we'd be all over them. Do you get to be yourself? One of the things that was, uh, um, it was a, a learning curve for me is that when we started to do this several years ago in our old neighborhood, um, we had somebody come into our life and their language wasn't as clean as ours. And so they'd come over to our house and he would eat meals with us and he didn't even know he was doing it. It, just, it's, it would just come out all the time, just profanity after profanity. after, And, and, and it was just part of the way that people talk. And of course, we had young kids around at that point. Fortunately, Caleb was young enough that he wasn't going to pick up on a lot of these things. But even if he was, I'm just thinking to myself, like, I, I felt this tension of, like, should I correct him? Should I say something? Should we say something? That's not the way that we talk around our house. And ultimately, I just said, okay, just bear with it. Love covers a multitude of sins. I'm just going to let it go. You know what happened over time? It went away. He actually started to speak that. At first what happened is that he started to, every time he said something, he said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I, start, I said that. We never corrected him. He said, it's all right. You get to be with us regardless of what your language is like. And then over time, it actually went away. I said to him, after a year of him being part of our family life and being at home with us, I, I said, you know what? I've, I've, I've noticed so many changes in you. One of the ways is the way that you talk. It says, it's, you, don't, you don't say, you know, crude things anymore. You're, you're, just your language and your disposition are so much gentler and, and softer than you used to be. I said, the reason that you've experienced that is because God has been working in you. He's been showing you what he's like. Are we able to let people just be themselves, ultimately? See, the truth is that God didn't wait for us to clean, get cleaned up before he welcomed us in. He brought us in as we were. So the, in fact, the only requirement for receiving God's hospitality was admitting that you were a mess in the first place. See, every time I'm failing to let people be their true selves, I'm probably forgetting this. So be themselves, whatever that looks like. Whatever, whatever of mine you need to make you feel like you are part of this place as well, that we, you will have.
Second is an, an environment to become themselves. Not just to be themselves, to be, but become whole, become the people that God intended them to be, to get restored back to the way God designed them. I love the, about Jesus' life. He didn't just leave people the way that they were. He calls them back to a new life. And whenever people are with Jesus, they leave changed. I think that's the beauty of hospitality is that it's, it's committed to people's whole life development so that ultimately they'll feel at home and they'll become at home with God. Sometimes this means feeding people's physical needs and spiritual needs at the same time. See, in, in order to know how to do that, you're going to have to be a good listener. You're going to have to be aware of what people's needs are. You're going to have to listen to what their needs are. You're going to have to listen both to them and what they share as well as the Holy Spirit and what He reveals. And so pay attention when people are around you. Do they need clothes? Do they need to be listened to? Are they hungry? Do they need healthy things to eat rather than the junk that they've been eating? Pray for God to give you awareness. God has done this for us so many times where we've been able to meet a physical need that ends up resulting in meeting a spiritual need. See, our our ultimate desire is for people to taste the bread of life, to experience our servant King Jesus serving them through us. And then last, ultimately we want to see an environment where people get to do it themselves. Not just to be perpetually... Um, enslaved and dependent on you to do it for them, but to be able to do it themselves. We want people to grow up in their relationship with Jesus, which means that they can actually go and bring hospitality to others. So it might mean in your, in your Cultivate communities, if you're really good at hospitality, maybe God has given you to the group for you to help others do it in their space as well. So maybe part of the way that God has gifted you to that, that local body in that neighborhood is to say, you know what, I'm going to go with you to help you do it in your place as well. We were having a conversation about that. One of the members of our group, you know, it's, that's not a common attitude in their apartment building. So he said, all right, well, if we're, if we're a family, maybe we shouldn't just do this in our neighborhood here. Maybe we'll go and throw a barbecue in your neighborhood so that people can get to know one another. And those of us that are good at it will help those of us who are weak at it so that we all become good at it. What if you took that approach? Ultimately, if you, if you asked us what our vision is as a church, it would be that the Garden State would be saturated with homes and families who are open to the outcasts and those who are far from God so that they would come home into Jesus' family. You want, if somebody were to ask you, hey, what's your church about? And you had one word to do it, you could say hospitality. And it would be true. Now, you might have to clarify what that means, but that's what, ultimately what we want, is for South Jersey to be full of homes and families and people that know how to do this in every home, in every cafe, in every coffee shop. You can make the people who work at a coffee shop feel more like home just because you're there. And you have the Spirit of God to do it. Family, if you've experienced Jesus pursuing you, if you've experienced his hospitality, my encouragement to you is to let that come out of you. It's in there. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, it's in there. Let it come out in the way that you use your space and time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that This is true. Thank you. All the the things that we could ever hope for in terms of experiencing a creator who's hospitable, who welcomes us in and is is a dad and a friend, you've done it. And you continue to do it. Thank you, Jesus, that you show us what that means. That we were the least of these and you welcomed us in. We had nothing to offer you. And you came and gave us everything. Father, I pray, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal specific ways this week that we could open our space. 
that we could welcome in the stranger and the outcast and make them feel like a brother and a sister. Would you give us opportunities to do that? I know you want to. Help us to be attentive. And then when that happens, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the physical needs that ultimately lead to the spiritual needs that you want to fulfill and those that you bring. Help us to give you the glory for the stories that are sure to come from what you do this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.